0: was I uh, <clears throat> introduced two weeks ago the uh, three messages that I've been asked to, to give this youth conference. I hadn't thought about the fact and I said that I was planning on giving at least two of those here and thought about the fact that one of those would fall on council uh, council, council Sunday morning. But as I thought about the second message in that series, the title is Esau, the Cost of Impulsiveness. I I kept praying and asking the Lord about it, and and this is what the Lord asked me to bring. So it is what it is, Esau, the Cost of Impulsiveness. This is council meeting Sunday. But as I looked at this story of Esau and his impulsiveness... It does cause me to search my heart. Let's look at this this morning. We're going to take a look at the life of Esau and some of the big mistakes that his impulsiveness, that he made and his, that what his impulsiveness cost him. And I'm fairly certain that even though I've never met a person with the name Esau, there's a good many people here today, and I know there's at least one that can identify with Esau And his mistakes. So let's take a look at his life and see what we can learn and see how we can be challenged in our lives. So, you think about, as you think about Esau and who he was, Esau, to be honest with you, is my kind of guy. Now, I know that sounds pretty facetious when we're looking at his mistakes, but Esau was an outdoorsman. He loved the outdoors. He loved to hunt, and he was good at cooking what he harvested. Well, I can identify with that. I don't know that I'm all that good at it, but I enjoy it. And he seems to be a passionate man. Um, you never wondered what he was thinking. He was sort of just out there. He just said it. And I know, I've know i known a few... Um, Guys like that in my life, I can think of two specifically at the moment that come to mind when I think of a guy that you just never have to, you never question what he's thinking. Guess It's just right there. He's going to say it the way it hits his mind. Just don't have much filter. That's kind of the way I imagine Esau was. And I kind of like being around guys like that because you don't, you know, you're not left guessing. Sometimes I wish I was a little more that way. Um. But be that as it may, the downfall of that is that that same passion for life brings an impulsiveness that can get us into big trouble, and it did for Esau. Let's take a look at our text verses. Turn to Hebrews 12, and I want to look at verses 14 to 17. Hebrews 12, verses 14 to 17. start with verse 14 follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. There's a lot in that passage section of verses that we could look at and flesh out. But I want to consider a few things specifically. It calls Esau a profane person. What made Esau a profane person? So I looked up profane in the dictionary, and um, it means to debase or disregard that which is holy or spiritual value. That's one of the one of the definitions of it. And and probably the most applicable to to our message this morning, to debase or disregard that which is holy or spiritual value. Now, what made Esau that kind of person, and what was the cost? The second question I'd like to ask this morning is, how might we make the same mistake? So let's go back to Esau's story. Let's read, let's go to Genesis 25. I want to start at verse 19 and read to verse 34. Genesis 25, verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of and Aram the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? She went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I'm sorry, I forgot to say, song leader. Um, I have a song suggestion for the end. That's song number four forty-four in the in the uh, Christian hymnal. And if that doesn't, if that's not doesn't work, that's perfectly fine. It's just a suggestion. All right, back to our scripture here. So we have twin boys that are born by divine intervention. I find it very interesting. That Isaac entreated God and he enabled Rebecca to have children. So twins are born, but even in the womb there was a struggle. So much that Rebecca goes to ask, goes to God and asks him why. I don't know how she did that, but God seems to speak directly to Rebecca here and tells her. What is going on? Two nations were in her womb. Eventually, they would become the Edomites and the Israelites. Now, neither of these twins knew or understood the impact that their families would have on the world. They were just two young men following their natural inclinations, growing up being young men, doing what young men do. Jacob became a gentleman. Who evidently enjoyed farming, and I say that because when Esau came in, he was Jacob was um, had lentil soup cooking, and so I'm assuming that Jacob raised it. So he was a man of the tent; he wasn't an outdoorsman. So I assume he enjoyed hunting, or I mean farming. And Esau became an outdoorsman. He enjoyed hunting and living off the land, a little bit more of a wild man something sad started to happen through this time. Their parents began to show favoritism. Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, we don't know how much this played a part in what, in what the boys became. Um, we don't know how much it entered into the competitiveness between the boys, but there was a strain between Jacob and Esau from birth. Now, Jacob had his glaring faults, but he's not the one we're looking at today. We could There's a whole sermon that could go into Jacob and his deceptiveness and um, what all his conniving did. But today we're looking at Esau. The question we want to answer is, how did Esau become known as a profane man? So in the verses we just read, Esau's been out hunting all day. Yeah, and evidently it run out of granola bars and jerky because he came in starving hungry now a few of us know what real hunger is but i think we can most of us can identify with being so hungry sometimes that that's we just need food some people the new generation calls it being hangry so hungry you're angry you know you're almost gonna become irritable you need some food I think that's where Esau was. I doubt he was at the point of death like he mentioned here. I, you know, if he walked in from hunting, he probably wasn't about to die. But as a young man gets, he was—he needed food. He wanted it now. His hunger was about all he could think about. Now, have you ever been at that place that Esau was? Maybe it wasn't hunger maybe you wanted something so bad that nothing else really mattered. Let's make it a little more down to earth. Have you ever given in to a particularly strong temptation? You had a desire for something so strong that you made a bad decision to satisfy that desire. Now in all reality, Esau's hunger was not wrong. For him to eat Jacob's bread and, and lentil soup was not wrong wanting food and eating food did not make Esau a profane person what caused Esau to be called a profane person in Hebrews was his disregard for his birthright he considered one meal or one moment of satisfaction one fulfillment of pleasure more valuable than his birthright He did not consider the consequences of the long-term effects of that one decision. I don't know for sure, but I highly doubt that he would have died of starvation. I'm sure there was food available if he'd been willing to wait just a bit or if he'd went to Rebecca and said, Mom, I need food. I'm sure there would have been something to keep him from dying. But the food in front of him was just so tempting. It smelled so good. He was willing to give up whatever he had to, to satisfy his physical hunger. And it cost him dearly. So what was he giving up? What value did the birthright carry? Now the birthright, you read about it multiple times in the Old Testament. But it carried, in that time, the birthright carried a lot of weight. It was supposed to go to the oldest son of a father. And this is by biblical law. The oldest son of a father. That way it didn't matter if the son was by a concubine or a slave or a wife. It didn't matter. It was supposed to go to the oldest son of the father. The father did have the option to change who the birthright went to under certain circumstances. But the one receiving the birthright carried responsibility for the family in the absence of the father. The father wasn't home. The one carrying the birthright was responsible to provide for and direct the family. He also received a double portion of the inheritance in comparison to what the other boys in the family received. And the best and greatest amount of blessings, spiritual blessings, physical blessings, were passed on to the one receiving the birthright. the inheritance that he would have received was a physical blessing. It should have been Esau's. But the spiritual birth uh, blessings that went with the birthright carried on in the spiritual world. It was two-dimensional. So Esau was not only giving up wealth for one meal, he gave up his position of authority in the family, and he also gave up spiritual strength and blessings that should have been passed on to him from his father. By birth, he should have been the one through which all the blessings God gave to Abraham were passed down. But he gave it all up for one meal. So what were the real consequences of his actions? What actually happened because of him selling his birthright to Jacob? So, Jacob became the one through which the blessings given to Abraham, and that blessing carries down through all the way to Jesus. Jacob became the father of the Israelite people, God's chosen people. Esau became the father of the Edomites. The Edomites, if you really study who they were and what happened to them, they became representative of of all the nations that hated the Israelites. They were, even in later prophecy, after the Edomites have been eradicated, they were still referred to as the one, as when it talks about the Edomites, it's talking about all nations that oppose the Israelites. You'll see the word idumia, And that's another word for Edom. But historically speaking, the Edomites were erased in AD 68 by the Romans. When the Romans came in and destroyed uh, Jerusalem, the Edomites were eradicated. But what they represented as a nation, a nation of people who hated God's people, has not been er eradicated. And that spirit of hatred for the Jews and God's people as a nation is still very much alive today and is very clearly prophesied against. And there will be a complete destruction of those that hate God's people. So you see, Esau's decision to give up that birthright culminated down through the ages And his descendants became known as the people who hated God's people, the Israelites. Now, I'm sure Esau had no idea that selling his birthright would have the effect on the world that it did. He had no idea that his descendants would suffer the consequences of his impulsiveness for that many generations to come. But they did. So what can we learn from Esau's mistake? So let's go back to our text verse, Hebrews 12, verses 14 to 17. Hebrews 12, 14 to 17. And it's easy enough to look back at history and shake our heads at the mistakes that people made. And this morning we're looking at Esau. But what about us? What about you and I? Let's take a look at ourselves. What has impulsiveness cost us? Have we made impulsive mistakes like Esau did? I'm fairly certain that we all could say we have. We've made mistakes, made decisions in life that we later regretted. We made it spur of the moment. And later we were like, that was really dumb. Maybe it was bad financial decisions. And normally, these don't alter our futures too much, but they do teach us a lesson. Maybe we've done impulsively done dangerous or illegal things. I did. One that I will mention. I was late one evening and my buddy and I were headed home, I think from a, a youth social, driving down a two-lane road dark just to us two vehicles and he pulls out to pass. and of course that was too much and or I passed him I don't know anyway the race was on well didn't realize there was a policeman on the side of the road we got caught thankfully we weren't going real fast when he caught us and the consequences of that wasn't that great but it was an impulsive decision that was really stupid and could have ended up badly had we not got caught Maybe we've gotten into relationships that we knew would take us in a direction we should not go. I know for, I know for youth, that's, that seems to be a, an issue we all go through. Who does God want us to spend our life with? Who does God want us to be in our circle of friends? And sometimes we make decisions that cost us. The people that we allow around us or who we associate closely with. We've probably all seen this happen or experienced it ourselves in some way or another. And this kind of impulsive mistake, especially in relationships, can and often does affect us and others for a lifetime. Someone rejects what they know is right and chooses to um, associate with bad company. It can affect us for a lifetime. So how do we go about keeping ourselves from making those mistakes in the future? Number one, if you don't remember anything else from this message, maintain a close relationship with God so that the Holy Spirit can guide us and keep us from foolish mistakes. The number one thing that keeps us Christians close to God is that openness with Him and lead, the leading of His Holy Spirit. Now how do we do that? Well, let's look at our text verses here. Let's look at verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So follow peace. It says follow or pursue peace. And this peace means quietness or rest with all men. Is that does that describe our relationship with those around us? Quietness and peace. It did not describe what Esau and um Uh, Jacob and Esau's relationship at all. There it was tumultuous and drama from the beginning in their lives. But are our relationships at peace and at rest, keeping our relationships with others as it should be, follow peace, and holiness, keeping our relationship with God, what it should be? And there's a warning here, verse 14 If we do not do these two things, we will not see God. That ought to strike us. If we don't keep our relationships right with the people around us and with God, we will not not see God. It's a scary thought. Very important. Follow peace with God and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Esau lost his birthright because he didn't take time to think. We also have a birthright, and we can lose ours also if we don't live according to this mandate. Verse 15, looking diligently. This has the thought of carefully examining ourselves and our motives to make sure we don't fail of the grace of God looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now what does it mean to fail the grace of God? Failing the grace of God has the idea of getting behind or not keeping up with God's grace. God has a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. And His grace is enabling us to live out that purpose and plan. If we impulsively do our own thing, We will find ourselves far away from where God wants us, and we will have failed God's grace if we simply follow our own way of thinking and doing what we want to do. Is that you or I today? The author gives us a couple more things in this passage that will take us away from God's grace. Let's look at verse 15. Middle of the verse there, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. A root of bitterness. It's just a root. Down under the soil, it's well hidden. Nobody can see it, right? Won't stay there. Bitterness will come out. Bitterness will work its way to the surface and it will bring you trouble. I think of when I think of bitterness, a picture that always comes to my mind is a wiregrass. I don't know if y'all know what I mean by wiregrass, but it's about as tough as a wire and it will go it will crawl and pop up over here and over there and you, it's so hard to get rid of wiregrass. Bitterness is like that. And wiregrass can has a root that will go down and down and down. As, I remember uh, the back wall of the shop back at Belvoir. If Y'all that get a chance to go to that shop, the very back wall, there's a tiny hole through the concrete. Out of that hole comes a wiregrass root all the way down to the floor. Just just keeps going. Keep it's looking for water. It's the way bitterness does. It keeps, we've got to deal with that root. You can yank the top off, it don't stop it. That root keeps growing. We have to deal with that root. How do we deal with the root of bitterness? Repentance. And forgiveness of the of whatever we're bitter about. Repentance and forgiveness are the only things that can deal, can deal with bitterness. And it says bitterness spreads. It says by it many be defiled. It doesn't stay with just you or me. If we have bitterness in our heart, it affects those around us. It spreads. Those roots go out and, and crawl into other people's lives. And when it starts coming out of us, it starts pulling others down. And that root gets planted. It is very deceptive. It's no wonder the Hebrew writer here talks about it. And about it being so important. Bitterness will make you make impulsive decisions in a bad way quickly. Really quickly. The second thing, verse 16 Fornicator, it calls there be any fornicator or profane person. Let's look at the word fornicator there. That's immorality of any sort. When we allow immorality in our lives, it blocks the Holy Spirit's ability to work. He can't speak into your life if you've got immorality there. We have to deal with that. And if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work, we make impulsive decisions based on our own thinking How'd that work out for Esau? Wasn't real good. Then we look at the the third thing, a profane person. So remember, profane means to debase or disregard that which is holy or spiritual value. Does this describe you or me? That I debase or devalue something of spiritual value. Have we in some way... Or maybe in some attitude, done just what Esau did. Have we disregarded or thrown away something holy or spiritual value so that we could fulfill our own selfish desire? Have we turned away from what God wants, what He wants to give us, so that we can have what our flesh wants instead? Verse 17 goes on to remind us Esau could not undo what had been done, done, no matter how much he tried. Esau sought that birthright with tears. Couldn't change what had happened. Can we can be forgiven today? We can find forgiveness when we fail. But forgiveness does not erase the consequences or the effects of sin. They we can be the sin can be taken off of our heart. But what that sin has done to those around us or even to maybe our future those impulsive decisions continue to affect us. Esau's descendants paid the price for his foolishness. The consequences of that impulsive decision to sell his birthright changed the lives of thousands and maybe even millions of people. It's hard for us to imagine, but the very same thing is possible in our lives today. If we reject the grace of God in our lives and don't live in tune with the Holy Spirit, the ripple effect can and will be devastating to many more lives than just our own. So what about you and me? Are we living impulsively like Esau? Are we rejecting the work of God's grace in our lives? Or are we diligently and carefully living our lives by God's enabling power? Making decisions that are pleasing to God and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Esau lost a physical inheritance and blessing. And his his descendants suffered the consequences. We could lose our souls. And the souls that our lives touch for eternity, that choice is ours. So let's search our lives and root out anything that keeps us from living in tune with God's Holy Spirit. Lest we also become a profane person like Esau was. Okay, at this time, I believe I'll call for a song and then.